0: Welcome to the Modern Lawyer Podcast. I'm your host, Ana Napadier. Thanks for joining me today. This is a podcast about rapid change in the legal industry. We're excited to share with you our conversation with the Chief Marketing Officer of Winston Strawn one of the most prominent law firms in the country. In this episode, we talk to Howard Kravitz, who works us through the past, present, and future of the law firm marketing pitch and how it's different from the consulting world. We also talk about millennials in the law and how oftentimes as a marketer at a law firm, you have many more audiences than just a potential client. We're really excited to present this episode to you. We hope you enjoy it. Howard, thanks so much for joining us on the Modern Lawyer podcast. It's a real honor to have you on. Oh, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. So, Howard, when we get into your backstory and and what you're currently doing, it's to be very clear why you're here on the podcast, but I really want to get your whole story and your background out. Of course, I will lead with the fact that you are the chief marketing officer of an Amlaw 50 law firm, Winston and Strong, but I think you've done a lot of very amazing things in your career, and I'd love to just get a quick kind of minute or two summation of of how you got to where you are leading the marketing effort of one of the most prestigious law firms in the world. Thanks. I'm
1: happy to. I'm an interesting case of You never know exactly where you're going to wind up for some of us when we leave college. I like to remind myself sometimes, and when I tell my story, that I was the night custodian in the high school I graduated from with my college degree before I tried a bunch of different roles and found success, first in sales, in the brokerage business, and then in the banking business. I had a couple of leadership roles at a a mid-sized bank and one of the largest mortgage lenders in the country, and that led me to... About 12 years of doing some independent consulting and really helping people with sales and sales coaching and leadership and presentation and negotiation. And eventually one of the big four PwC, became my largest client. They offered me a position there that was one of those uh, too-good-to-turn-down roles. And I had the opportunity to work in a very large region of PwC and then ultimately become the head of marketing for the U.S. firm. I always thought the legal profession would be looking into the professional services world to see what they could take or bring from that world. That led me to my previous law firm and, then, and now eventually to this one. So it's been a fascinating ride, a wonderful journey, and I keep thinking all the time, what's next? Where will people need the, this particular set of skills next?
0: Obviously, lots of different types of marketers out there. I'm not the most sophisticated person on marketing, but I know that there's uh, marketers that focus on brand, marketers that focus on stories and content, and a lot of different angles with which you could approach marketing. For the PwC position, before you ever moved over to the law firm world, what was your goal? I mean, were you trying to tell a story? Were you trying to get more clicks on various content? I mean, uh, how did you approach it? For
1: all of us in marketing, there's really a few distinct areas that we're trying to mesh together for the greatest output. Remember, all of us are in the business of doing two things, helping to create opportunities and win work. That's what any good CMO should be thinking about every minute of their day. And it really comes in a few different areas. And at PwC, it was no different. Number one, and not necessarily in this order, but certainly promoting and protecting the brand of the firm. When you have a firm like a PwC or a Winston and Strong that have incredible legacy reputations, you have to be mindful of those reputations. They are worth tremendous amounts of dollars. We have to be responsible for the care and feeding of that brand, the protection of that brand, and the promotion of that brand through omni-channel promotion, whether it's digital or social today. Or face-to-face meetings and marketing collateral, all in events and sponsorships and community relations, all of those things. Secondly, we actually do certain types of work in these firms. And so chief marketing officer or those of us in marketing are often focused on the business development component for the practice group or the industry group or the specific set of capabilities that the firm may have. It is our job to help promote those capabilities in the marketplace and work with the partners on how we can expand relationships and deliver greater value to our clients. For today, the third thing I would focus on is data, technology, and analytics. You can't possibly be a decent marketer in today's world without a pretty strong understanding or an incredibly tight relationship with the head of technology of your firm technology stacks inside of professional services pale by comparison to consumer businesses. But we have to get there. And that's a big part of what these jobs are. And that's part of what I was trying to do at PwC.
0: So the similarities are pretty clear, right, between PwC and big law, right? They're both providing professional services. Obviously, PwC is providing professional services at, at a much, much bigger scale, right? I mean, worldwide, globally. They don't call it the big four for no reason, right? But what are the differences in being a CMO at a large prestigious law firm versus a CMO at a large prestigious Big Four accounting firm? I
1: think really the the difference comes down to just a couple of things. Number one, frankly, is a large global law firm is still smaller than a Big Four firm. And so the number of partners that you are interacting with and the level at which you're interacting And the impact and influence that you can have at an Amlaw 50 firm is tremendous. You are essentially a part of the livelihood of the firm. How are we driving our services and building our relationships and creating more value for our clients? The bigger a place you get to, there are more competencies and capabilities that a firm has. There are more regions that they operate in. There are more partners that are part of that solution. Give you an example, at PwC, just in the U.S. alone, there were 3,400 partners. At Winston & Strawn. we have roughly 375 partners around the globe. So, slightly different set of stakeholders inside the firm that you're ultimately responsible to.
0: Before we get to the future of this, right, and a lot of the challenges and obstacles that you're facing and you will overcome at Winston & Strong, I want to ask a more foundational question that I think I didn't ask before, and that is, why marketing? right? Why did you pick marketing? What about marketing drew you in from this path as the night janitor all the way to this path where you're leading the marketing efforts at these large organizations? I mean, what was it?
1: It's a great question. I've always felt that the best market has straddle the line between business development or sales and marketing. So you have the people that really understand that marketing is a combination of the ability to drive revenue. There's the strategic component to figure out where can we go to help service our clients. Then there's the, the day-to-day trench warfare of helping partners build the relationships and discuss and deliver the value. And then there's the overall protection of the brand that we talked about a few moments ago. But for me, I went back and forth between very direct sales roles, including being a telemarketer a, at Lehman Brothers and you know making 300 dials a day to build a portfolio. All the way through banking and then working in the, as an independent consultant, you're, you're marketing yourself, you're in sales, you're closing business, and the best CMOs in the world, I think, have a pretty good experience doing a little bit of both. That was attractive to me. If The law firm gives me the opportunity to focus on any number of things which really have an impact to our clients and our stakeholders.
0: And how did dialing to establish your portfolio and a lot of the lead up work you did at the brokerage and Lehman's a whole other discussion. I'd loved it. Yeah, that's a whole other podcast, as they say. But how did all of that lead up work before you became marketing executive influence your marketing strategy going forward?
1: Well, first of all, you learn to have a thick skin. So you learn how to, how to get into a room with people who may have dissenting viewpoints and and manage those discussions. So that was really important to professional development. But I think the one thing that I took from all of that time and frankly, so much rejection, the concept that we fail when we push, we succeed when we engage. When you get on a phone or when you have a website or when you go to a conference, we can extrapolate the different avenues. But when you get into a conversation with somebody and the first thing you do is you say, hi, I have something you should buy, that that inevitably that fails. When you can get on the call or get into a conversation or get into a meeting or build a relationship about the other party's interests, needs, pressures, concerns, goals, objectives, personal issues, when you're helping them to achieve An outcome, you're essentially getting on the same side of the table as them as opposed to sitting on the other side and saying, No, you should have, you should buy what I tell you. It's much different because you're now helping them solve their problems. And I think the experience of working in a brokerage firm and just call after call in which you're trying to tell somebody what they should do. You learn pretty quickly that 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 actually is not a good way to deliver value to clients, particularly in professional services.
0: I think that's a lesson that can be learned across lawyer marketing, right? We hear from a lot of big firms, but we also talk to a lot of solo attorneys who are trying to market themselves. And a lot of the most savvy solo firm attorneys heed the lesson that you just provided, right? Don't talk about yourself engage instead of push. Don't just say like, I've got these legal services. I can do your whatever work, your will, right? Whatever it may be, learn, engage, and then provide a potential solution. So no, I, I really appreciate that. Let me, let me ask a broad question. And then I want to go into a couple of the categories that you provide. But as the CMO at Winston-Strong, who are you marketing to? Who's your audience, both intended and collateral?
1: So we have multiple stakeholder groups. Certainly we have our clients and our prospective clients, and those would generally be the general counsels of the types of clients that we hope to have and that we think we can serve well. We also have campus recruiting. We have potential lateral recruits of other partners or other lawyers at other law firms that think Winston seems to have it together, and that feels like a place I'd like to go work. We have the communities at large that we serve. So there's no question that the legal profession, look at the, it's very public, the fees that people earn and the profits per equity partner and the size of the law firms and the billions of dollars that are made in the legal profession. And so at some point, you do want people to think, well, wow, that's a firm that actually, they do good. They're an important part of our community, wherever that office may be. That The people who are, maybe earning more than the average Joe or or the average Mary, that they also get up in the morning and they think about how can they help the community at large. So that's a group that's very important. The profession, how do we market to other lawyers and members of the bar and what are we doing to advance the cause of lawyering or the legal profession in the communities that we serve? I think that's all part of it as well. The underserved the unfortunate, those that can't afford legal representation but have really important stories and needs. So it's a, and staff, you can't have successful business today without making sure that you have strong IT people and that you have a strong talent group and that the, the professional development for attorneys is in place and the opportunity for them if they get in trouble in their personal lives to get some help. So So there's a lot of different stakeholders and a lot of different people that we want to communicate with. But essentially, at Winston, the message is always, we are a wonderful place. We care a ton about the world at large, about the people that we work with and the people that we work for.
0: Taking one of those, I'd say the most obvious category, right? I mean, I think when most people think of a chief marketing officer, irrespective of what they really know about what a marketing officer does or a marketing department does, they think, oh... This person is out to try to close deals with clients, right? And, and that's what you led with. And I think that's, that's clearly a big part of it. How has the approach to pitching to clients, getting clients, advertising to clients, you know, just generally messaging to clients changed from, you name it, 15, 20 years ago, both technologically and with respect to the kinds of words and the kinds of approaches that you use to secure an engagement with a client?
1: Well, I think if the the biggest thing is and I believe that places like Gartner and others have reported on this. Generally speaking, a decision, a hiring decision, is about sixty percent of the way complete before a person walks in the door. So the buyer has made up made up a good portion of their mind as to who they're going to choose, and that's because of what's available through technology. So whether it's searching on a particular individual, a firm, you can look up their rates, you can look up their case history, you can look at their picture, you can look at what people say about them. There's so much information that's available. You can see what they've written. You get a sense of the type of person that you want to work for. So that decision is really far along before perhaps you can walk in the door. So now that's the first thing is that technology has made it that in the internet, etc., that people can find out so much about somebody else. So now the second thing that's happened is. That legal departments, in particular, have so many additional pressures on them. Ten years ago, they just hired the best lawyer they wanted, or the person that they had a deep relationship with. They didn't necessarily have to report to the CFO, or the chief procurement officer, or the CEO on their legal spend, on how they're on their diversity statistics, on how they're spreading law, the, the, the legal work around. There's new innovators. That are walking in the door, obviously, and saying we can do certain types of work for a lot less money than the law firm. So I think for us, it's recognizing that people can figure out the basics before you walk in the door. So what distinguishes us from the next firm or distinguishes a particular partner or lawyer from the next lawyer? And that's where I spend a lot of my time. It's It's a simple question. So what? We list a set of qualifications, and a lot of law firms and a lot of lawyers have outstanding qualifications. And so what I'll do is sit in the room with people and say, these are outstanding qualifications. So what do they mean to the client? How do we articulate that value proposition in a way that feels different or that aligns to this particular client's needs? And that's where a great deal of time is spent so that you can get the messaging right, whether it's in the brand messaging or whether it's in the one-to-one conversation that you might have.
0: And a lot of that, presumably, is learning the business, right? I mean, to know how to market directly to them, you need to know exactly what their objectives are and, and what they care about.
1: Yes, it's very interesting that one firm that I work with, we did a very long study on what essentially were the key components of a buying decision such that a firm could actually maximize the value, essentially get the best price for the seller, right? So that they could negotiate from a place of strength. And really, there were four things that needed to be in place. This is from the buyer's perspective. Number one, understand my problem. Number two, understand my industry. Number three, understand my company. And number four, understand me. And when we could demonstrate that we had a very deep understanding of the problem, that we had tremendous experience in the industry, we understood the politics and the way things got done inside the company, and we knew how an individual wanted to work, then we could be very, very successful.
0: And that takes a lot of work with respect to business intelligence, competitive intelligence, right? I mean, is that all subsumed in the marketing operation or marketing department, I should say, at Winston-Strong?
1: Yes, we actually have a business intelligence function inside of the marketing, and the department is actually called marketing and business development. So we have a very strong function on business intelligence and competitive intelligence, and we also spend a lot of time working with our partners on helping them to see the value of investing time in building the relationship and getting to know the buyers more deeply and their pressures and their issues and their challenges and their goals and their objectives. And you can't bill for that. So in the legal profession, when there's so much pressure on the billable hour, trying to get a partner to understand that of a, however many thousands of hours a year they're going to work, that a fair amount of it or some portion of it needs to be invested Without an immediate dollar return on that investment, that's
0: uh, a big part of what we do. Is the pitch going out of style? I mean, is the direct-to-client pitch, the kind of beauty contest with respect to a firm, kind of putting up a potential case or matter or portfolio of potential matters up? And Winston Strawn and other elite firms kind of coming in with their briefcases and and charts and PowerPoints and putting on a presentation, is that becoming less important in an era of symmetry of information where the client is a lot more likely to just reach out directly to winston Strawn, Or is the pitch, the much storied pitch, right? I'm thinking about Mad Men and Don Draper, right? The era of like Ogilvy. Is that still very much a real thing and a real way that business is still won?
1: Yes, the pitch is still very real, very important, and in fact, might even be growing in importance for certain types of work because what happens is the competitive pressure is increasing. And so a law client, a law department, may have in the past actually simply reached out to Winston and said, hey, we need you guys Can you come in and help us with the matter. Now they have to justify why did they choose us. And so in order to do that, they issue an RFP, request for proposal, and they send it out to X number of firms. We just went through one, and we found out that the RFP went to 40 different law firms. And then firms are what's called down-selected and they wind up with a few, and then they come in and they perform the beauty contest. So that pitch has really become very, very important. And by the way, it's not just the expertise, it's the team. So bring the team that's going to do the work. And by the way, it better be a diverse team. We had one client say to us recently, I don't want my Winston team, by the way, it wasn't just the Winston team, it was any team, I don't want them to be, quote, male, pale, and frail. End
0: quote. That's a and that's a great line.
1: It's a great line. Of course, I grew up with Bear Bryant at Alabama saying, "I want my linebackers to be mobile, agile, and hostile." But it's nice to hear it, uh, you know, used in a slightly different way. But it's it, it's a great saying, and it reminds us all that yeah, clients want and need a diverse group of attorneys because diversity is important, not just because it is, but because a diverse team brings a better work product to the client.
0: Yeah, they win more. They're they're better teams.
1: We have a you know, diversity breeds a better understanding of so many different facets of matter, ordeal, whatever the case may be. So we certainly at, at our firm believe very, very strongly in that and clients are holding us accountable.
0: I want to talk about a different kind of diversity on the pitch team. And this is something I've I've heard more. And the diversity I'm talking about is A diversity with respect to having a pitch team that is not just the typical marketing, your role as CMO or your deputy, a senior marketer at Winston-Strawn, and then, of course, the partners and maybe an associate or two on the pitch team, but also folks at the firm, whether they're knowledge management or innovation or IT or technology, who could speak to a lot of the technological skill and technological advancement at the firm. In addition to maybe other roles, right? Uh, Chief diversity officer, you talked about that earlier, but has the makeup of the pitch team changed in response to clients wanting a deeper and maybe more broad picture of what the firm is about and what they can provide?
1: Yes and no. I know that's not a perfect answer for anyone. Some of the pitch teams are being directed by the client. Bring the following expertise with you to the pitch. When the law firm... Has the option, and I think we really think about what is going to be most valuable to demonstrate. And more often than not, the lawyers who are doing the work can describe a lot of those things that you just talked about. Because we would have sent in advance a description of our innovation, types of technology we have, our diversity initiatives, the value adds that they call, is what it's typically called, that we'll provide to the client. So there's a lot of that information that gets passed along before. So really, when it comes down to the making a decision, the client usually wants to know who are the best lawyers for my situation. And that could be cultural, it could be price, it could be expertise, it's generally all of those things, and a whole lot more. But it's it's still typically a lawyer-heavy pitch.
0: How much do they care nowadays in this era of technology, what technology the firm is using? Is it still kind of a tertiary or secondary point, or are you seeing evidence that it's kind of moving up the priority list?
1: Well, it's interesting. It's actually moving down. And, and the reason, according to a recent Acritas, which is a global branding and research company, the area that is growing most in clients' need is the desire for clients to hire lawyers who have a deep understanding of their industry and their business and to bring a commercial perspective. Now, five years ago, technology was among the highest issues I think what's happening is that because so much technology is available in the world today, it's actually being reduced because it's just expected. Right. Kind of the price of admission, right? Clients just, yeah, we, we're we assuming you have technology to protect our data. I'm sure that you have a way of uh, providing us with project updates. Maybe you have a client site on your internet that we can log into. Like, okay, we get all that. But do you understand our problem? You get our business. Have you worked in this area before? We're in the midst of rapid conversion, and have you been at the forefront of this in terms of taking company, any company? Are we retail? Are we technology? Are we media? Are we entertainment? Are we financial? Look at Apple or Amazon. It could be anyone. Else, right?
0: so. I, I suppose we've gotten to a good place where having the most innovative technologies and having all of these things that you described are just kind of table stakes, right? Clients just expect that. I suppose that's not surprising to me. It's kind of a good place to be for the industry.
1: I think we can all be better, and it will be law firms that will deliver more to their clients. There's a lot of discussion about artificial intelligence today. There's a lot that can be done in e-discovery. Imagine how you could use technology to move through millions of documents and pull out the one piece that is needed for, for a case. There's still opportunity there for, for law firms to demonstrate efficiency, and that is a place where outside providers are starting to take share but in general I do think that most clients believe that once I hire the law firm I'm not going to hire or, or not hire a law firm solely for their technology
0: if I have a bet the company matter I still need the lawyer absolutely that that makes a lot of sense I want to move on to the next bucket that we talked about with respect to your audience that you market to and I think audience isn't the proper term of art, but you know maybe sector that you're marketing. I'm trying to sound more technical here than I audience actually am. Is fine. Audience is fine. I'm glad. But the, the next one was potential associates at the firm, right? I mean, you, you mentioned a battle for talent. And the reality is that nearly all of that talent, at least among the associates, are millennials, right? They're coming to the workforce with a different expectation of what work should look like. And Winston Strong needs to compete, and as a firm that's growing and very successful, I know is competing very, very ably in this market to obtain the established relationships with the best talent. How are you doing that? What's the playbook to attract the best talent, and what challenges are you up against?
1: So I don't know if there's one single playbook. I think back to an earlier set of comments, understanding In essence, the buyer, so the law, the the first-year associate, while they're also, we want to make them an offer, they're a seller, but they're also a buyer. If, If they're really good and they have choices, they're a buyer of where they're going to work. So understanding that it's never unusual for it to be one single thing, As money's been taken off the table now. Most of the big law firms offer it, extremely competitive, Salary for first year associates, and most of us are paying the same amount of money. Now it becomes how will I have the opportunity to grow? What kind of cases will I get to work on? What kind of people will I work with? What kind of diversity do we have at the firm so that I can pursue my interests and I can do them in a way that feels comfortable and flexible to me? What kind of, it's down to in many cases, what's the dress code? What do the offices look like? What time do I get to go home at night if I'm hungry? Will I get to eat? How many hours do I have to work? There's a lot of things that go into it that in the past, those questions were not asked. So what do we do that's different? We showcase a broad array of all of the components of Winston that will be there for first-year associates. So here's how we help you develop and grow your professional career. Here's how we help you manage your personal life. Here's the environment that you'll be in. Here's how we support diversity and inclusion. Sort of go around that list and and then the marketing materials support that and talking points are given to the partners who, when they go out and visit on campus, really, they're the point of the cultural sphere. And we're pretty fortunate that most of the partners at this firm really connected to
0: the culture of the firm. We can all agree, you know, you, me, and all the listeners of this podcast, that the legal industry is hardly the coolest industry, right? And this is coming from someone who is a a practicing lawyer and who's still very much in the industry, but no one would refer to it as a hip industry. And I know that a lot of what you're doing as a chief marketing officer and, and your counterparts, fellow CMOs at other big firms are trying to make it cool and interesting. I shouldn't say make it cool and interesting, but showcase the parts of it that are cool and interesting, because there's a lot of very interesting, very high stakes, very important work that is done by firms like Winston Strawn and, and others. What is the angle? You know, what is the change in messaging that could make in the future? And, and as crazy as it sounds, firms like Winston Strawn, cool, interesting, highly attractive places to work as far as social status, not just the the very large paychecks that associates will will be bringing in right away. I think
1: one of the things that that can help with that is when a firm does work in industries that are generally considered a little bit more cool. So if you're working in the technology industry or in certain areas or aspects of financial services, if you have a background that, that uh, is suited to being in the energy space, which is a fascinating industry today, where are we gonna get all the energy that our world needs as we look at the megatrends over the next however many years. So those are three. Healthcare is another one. Healthcare and life sciences. And then I I would say also there's so much happening in the consumer products world. If you're working on matters that are in those segments or those sectors and they are front-page news, then it can be kind of cool to say that you were involved with that. It can also... What many of us are doing is redesigning the workspace so that you don't come in and sit in an office with all the doors closed and nobody knows you there. For example, my work area, where, where I am in New York City, we have all glass offices. They're all the same size. We have a coffee bar. We have martini Fridays. And we have wine down Wednesdays in the summer months. We have jeans on Friday. We have business casual all the time. I walk around the office and, and I think, man, it's a pretty hip place. It's kind of cool. So there are things that a lot of firms are doing. They're in moving into new office spaces. They're redesigning with collaborative spaces and glass and light and plants and giving everybody laptops and remote connect connectivity. And I think that that actually is a really important part of the way people work. I don't think the legal profession is uh, for most jobs. It's still going to be 100% flexible, work wherever you are, whenever you are, never come to an office. But I read recently about with an article entitled The Modern Law Firm, in which there were no offices. It was an internet-based system, and they had partner meetings, and they had department meetings, and everything was done through the internet. It was completely
0: web-enabled. One of the firms that does that, I think maybe the first one, is this firm called Ramon Law, and I had the opportunity to meet one of the founders of of Ramon Law, and it's amazing how well it's working, right? It's a purely remote office. I think they finally caved and created one brick and mortar, really tiny office. But do you think that this is just kind of going off of one of the many points that you just mentioned, but do you think that that could be the direction that even big firms are going, right? I mean, you'll have this nice office, but albeit smaller, but attorneys can do you know, maybe 60% of their work from wherever. If they're on vacation, maybe they'll need to take a day on vacation to do some work. If they're at home, they can do it then. What's your take on on the future of law in that sense?
1: I think that as next generation become leaders of law firms, they will become more and more comfortable having grown up in a fully technology-enabled world. And so in time, do I think that all law firms are going to be internet-based law firms? I'm not smart enough to answer that question. Do I think that people will be more comfortable with flexibility? Yes, absolutely. I look at the big four is a good example. I do know that my former firm has a very flexible work environment, and it's a big selling point. People work from their homes. They work from wherever they are. Now, many people have to be a clients, and that's, uh, that's how that work gets done. But the support staff in particular lives in a very, very flexible work environment and is very proud of it. The firm is proud of it, and it's a very competitive part of how they attract talent.
0: Howard, you've been very generous with your time. I want to ask you one last question that is intentionally broad to kind of close out this really great interview that we've had, and that is, what should we look for in the future of marketing at big law firms? I mean, what is going to be changing in the next 10 years as far as, or at least as far far out as you could predict?
1: I think what you have to do is look at the consumer businesses of the world that are having success with getting closer and closer to that nirvana of one-to-one marketing. So when I look at Amazon, for example, and I happen to be a fan, and I'm a Kindle reader, and then periodically I get a recommendation, Amazon, based on your previous books, we have some recommendations for you. And I actually look forward to that. I like it because it helps me sort through millions of titles and they'll give me five or 10 and maybe they weren't the right ones this week or this month. But the next time I probably pick one or two of them up. And I think the more I do that, the better they get at figuring out what I like to read and then the better the recommendations are and we can see the cycle. So that is the holy grail for marketers is that I present to my customer the Thing that they're most interested in at the time that they're most interested in it. And so we talk about, oh, B to C marketing, business to consumer, or B to B marketing. We're really moving into the age of B to I, business to individual. And as we, as professional services marketers, adapt more of the technology and the analytics that the consumer-based businesses have been using for years,
0: Howard, I, I love that that answer. I mean, that, that's a, a really great framework and structure to look at it. Frankly, I've never even thought of law firms marketing to individuals like that, but I could see how it would work. And the data is arguably already there, right? I mean, you you know your entire client list, all the in-house counsel that you worked with, you worked for. Why can't you eventually get to a point where you could at least attempt this? I, I, I love it. I, I love the approach. And I think a lot of clients would hope that law firm marketing goes in this direction.
1: We're still, in many cases, it's the spray and pray mentality. We'll, we'll have a content and it goes to a mailing list, and so it sort of goes to a thousand, or ten thousand, or a hundred thousand, whatever. It's the same content, structured the same way, that goes to this large list. If you happen to be in the pick a sector, the energy sector, the technology sector, we send it to the technology mailing list, and. All the GCs or all the people, the private equity guys that are in that space get that content. But what really the next wave or the will be several waves is when you visit our website, what are you looking at? When you do click on one of those articles, which ones are you clicking on and how frequently and what do you do with it? Are you sharing it with somebody? You read it yourself. you downloading it to a PDF. All of that information is becoming more and more available through data and analytics. And and that gives gives us the opportunity to customize what we give you, how we share it, what we invite you to, how we present it to you. Imagine that when you come to a law firm's website, and this is happening now, and it will absolutely happen more frequently in the not-too-distant future, that homepage you're presented with will be different than the homepage I presented with you've demonstrated to us that you have a different set of needs and interests so why would i waste your time and make you hunt and peck through the website to find what you're interested in the last 10 times you've visited us this is where you seem to go so why don't i start you there and make it easier for you and that's where i have to get
0: to i love that howard i i really appreciate that that response and i've I've really appreciated talking to you over this this conversation thank you for joining us on the modern lawyer podcast it was a real pleasure thanks for having me thanks for listening to the modern lawyer podcast we always love hearing from you and we highly value your feedback reach out to me at on in dot at com. tweet at us with the hashtag modern lawyer and check us out at modern lawyer com. we hope you join us for our next episode Special thanks to the Case Text team, especially our producer extraordinaire, Abby Hadidian. See you soon.